Rilke once wrote, it is quite rare to encounter a truly creative and productive person who resides in his own stillness, or simply in the midst of his melody, close to the honest beating of his heart. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that's the perfect description of my guest today on the program. He lives in the midst of that melody, and I'm really excited to have him here. And he's one of my all-time favorites, so I'm super excited. Who is this person, you're probably wondering? Well, you're about to find out. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I'm trying to remember and not to forget that Everybody says it, I totally get that It's all about the little things and life is sweet I was going the wrong way down a one-way street Marcellus Hall. Now, the song you just heard is called Behind the Stadium. It's track one from Marcellus's first new album in 10 years, I Will Never Let You Down. And by the way, I don't care what happens in 2024, this is the album of the year. This is number one. Nothing can change my mind about that. But back to our story. So you're probably thinking, wait a minute, his first new album in 10 years? What's he been doing? Well, let me put it this way. Marcellus Hall has been doing so much, his resume will make you look at your resume and think, what have I been doing? Let's back up. The Minnesota-born Marcellus Hall went to the Rhode Island School of Design, then he moved to New York after graduating to form the band Railroad Jerk. I loved Railroad Jerk. Do we have any? Can we play them right now? Let's play them. So good. Uh, Railroad Jerk put out four perfect albums for Matador, though they did record a fifth called Masterpiece Meal that didn't come out but is now available on Bandcamp. After the band broke up, Hall formed White Hassle with Railroad Jerk drummer Dave Varenka, and they were awesome. And they put out a handful of brilliant albums like National Chain and Death of Song. And after White Hassle called it a day in 2006, Hall put out phenomenal solo albums like The First Line, Afterglow, and now his new one, I Will Never Let You Down. But what about those 10 years you're probably still wondering? Well, let me answer that question. He's been illustrating. As an illustrator, Hall's work has appeared in The Atlantic, New York Magazine, Fortune, and he's done several New Yorker covers. 
He did the weekly comic strip Bill Dog Breath that appeared in The Onion and Baltimore City Paper, among others. And he illustrated books, lots of them, like Sherry North's Because You Are My Baby, Lee Bennett Hopkins' City I Love, and Karma Wilson's The Cow Loves Cookies. Keep in mind, this is a partial list. Another partial list? Books that Hall wrote and illustrated himself, like Kaleidoscope City, Everyone Sleeps, Virtual Reality, and Multiplicity. As for his new album, it's a stunner. A breezy blend of melodic muscle and musical finesse, I Will Never Let You Down is an instant classic. Hall plays with a kind of freewheeling precision, and his songs are the kinds of songs you will carry with you for the rest of your life. So let's get to it. Here's me and Marcellus Hall having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. people I can say I like everything you've ever done and it's it's a small list of people but I've been I've been a fan of yours since 95 and um it's it's nice to have you back oh thanks yeah I I didn't realize how far back we go (laughs) we yeah we go we go back far as a matter of fact the when I was getting my MFA in poetry I got the uh I was I was listening to Railroad Jerk and there was a line you have my favorite couplet in poetry, which is, we had sex at Tower Records. I am a night person, and I thought if that guy was in my program, I'd be very competitive with him. Wow, that's really cool. I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I like uh, stringing together words, and anybody who uh, takes classes in poetry has my respect. Um, you know, I don't consider what I do poetry, or no, words that are fun to listen to, lyrics. I don't distinguish. People put put poetry on a on a pedestal, and there's no reason for that, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I don't I don't love a lot of poetry, even though I write poems. Yeah. Well, some yeah. of it's hard to get your head around, right? I mean, like almost ninety five percent of it in yeah. some weird way. Yeah, and I think some people are afraid to admit that. But but yeah. that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't knock poetry, of course. No, 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 not at all. But I remember reading like Hopkins and Shakespeare and thinking like, um, that didn't do anything for me. It didn't make me want to write. It made me feel like I couldn't write. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But then then sometimes later in life there are different portals, right? That allow you entree into different things that you that were closed to you before. Yeah, like uh in poetry, the case of poetry, Tom Waits for me mm-hmm. was more important than anybody else. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. But as an artist, for you, um, I imagine that. I mean, I don't know if you feel the same way about visual art as you do about poetry. It seems like it's a bigger. Is it a bigger net, or is it the same same issue? I yeah, I consider them all the same. I mean, all the all the arts come under the same umbrella for me, and uh, I guess I was going to say. You know that, for example, like landscapes and still lives were meant nothing to me when I was young. 
but now they're exciting, you know? <laughs> so what I'm saying is that I, you know, we can change and appreciate different things that some, that seemed inaccessible when we were younger. Almost like we weren't ready for them. Yeah. There's music that has taken me now at 53. I go, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so with me too. But although with poetry, I still feel the same way. I still feel like anything in the Norton anthology doesn't really interest me that much. But but you still appreciate um, words and um, rhythms, I, I assume. So so you're still a poet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just don't, I just don't like a lot of stuff, I guess, and and not not in a snotty way. It's just if it no. does ring the bell, it doesn't ring the bell. Yeah. You know, it's almost like not liking a certain food. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Although I always argue with people or secretly in my mind, uh, people tell me they don't like asparagus or something like that. And then I think, well, if you grew up in a different uh, country or a different culture where, I don't know, if you, if you experience asparagus in a different way, you would love it. Or, you know, people will say, I don't like spicy food, but if they grew up in a spicy food place, they would have, they grew up they would have loved it. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that you can change the things that you say you don't like. Somehow, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how, but um, I mean, there are some foods that I still don't eat, but <clears throat> but um, there are other foods that I appreciate now that I didn't like when I was a kid, only because I think I shifted my mind around. <laughs> like there's a, like, almost like a regionalism in a yeah. context. Yeah. You know, like people will say, oh, I don't like sauerkraut. And I, th I just feel like it's because they have this certain prejudice against the culture that creates sauerkraut or something like that, which, which understandably they might. But, but if they grew up with sauerkraut, they would love it. <laughs> right. They have no choice. Right. <laughs> Unless you get too much of it. I wonder if travel has anything to do with that, too. If you travel a bit. Yeah. I wonder, like, if you go to Sicily or if you go to Japan, then suddenly you get your head around foods in a different way than if you didn't do the traveling. Yeah, I think so. And you also uh, demystify um, other cultures. Suddenly you realize the obvious that we're all the same, I guess. There's a cartoon in The New Yorker from years ago where this guy comes home and he finds his wife in bed with a piece of cilantro with a face. You know, the cilantro is like a guy. And he goes, once again, cilantro ruins everything. <laughs> and I remember, th and at the time, I didn't like cilantro. And I thought, yeah, cilantro would sleep with your wife. <laughs> right, right. But now I love cilantro. And oh, I don't know no. what happened. Yeah, yeah. And you always see cartoons in The New Yorker, too, about um, things like, um, wait, what is it? Uh, I think it's not the accordion. There's always one, like some instrument that everybody hates. I don't know. I forget what it is. Was any worker in your house growing up? Was that a magazine that was around? No, but I had some cultivated friends who, whose parents received it every week. And we used to hang out and look at it. But I mean, I don't think I had any aspirations back then to be involved, mm -hmm. except for the art, maybe. But it wasn't my goal. I think at the time I was more in love with Mad Magazine. I was obsessed with Mad Magazine. I think you and I are in the same same vintage. I think that Mad Magazine was one of those. Um, you know what it was for me was the idea. I remember I saw Alien and Alien just scared me to death. Uh -huh. And 
Mad Magazine did a parody of it. And instead of the monster coming out of the stomach, it was Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and I realized then that humor humor is a great way to sort of, you know, demystify horror. Yeah. I mean, for me, yeah, parody and satire were so important uh, as weapons, I guess. Yeah. At the time. I don't know. But that's that's our generation, I guess. Do you find that you still, the stuff that you loved as a kid still resonates like that? Or is it just in the Hall of Fame where you don't need to access it? I sort of just tentatively reach back once in a while and um, um, resonate. But recently I got my friends gave, gave me some old records and playing reggae, which I used to be into. And uh, it it was a sort of a revelation to be reacquainted with those records. Um, like they, they reignited my excitement uh, for, for some reason. I don't know, maybe I think it, it could have been just the formal aspects of reggae that were a big uh, influence on me, just the simplicity and the empty space and the, the rhythm, all of that um, came back to me in an exciting way. I mean, but you know, I didn't, uh, I wasn't excited about uh, smoking pot or praising jaw. <laughs> I mean, I never was, I guess. <laughs> but those those aspects seemed kind of, um, what's the word, um, anti-establishment at the time, you know. <laughs> that's, the, that's the dorm room experience. Yeah. Right. Right, right. <laughs> In college, you walk into a guy's uh, room and he's got a Marley poster and you go, well, I know what this is, what's going to happen here. That's what my college roommate said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't the archetypal, uh, uh, what do you call it? I don't know, that kind of revolutionary reggae fan or whatever. But I was, um, I think there was, a, like I was saying earlier, there was a real fascination on my part with, uh, with the rhythm and the, I mean, I wasn't like extolling the virtues of marijuana or anything like that. At right. The time. Yeah. Did the did the um, reggae landing with you now and reconnecting with it, it kind of surprise you that it, that it? Yeah. Uh, but I'm you know I'm suspicious too. I think it could easily be nostalgia on my part. It could be something of me attaching a certain purity to that music or something. You know, like it's which is attached to my own purity from that time. You know. I don't know. It's easy to uh, see the evolution of music. Um, whoops, uh, as uh, devolving sometimes. You know, after you get a certain age, you 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 can be nostalgic in a in an incorrect way. <laughs> Although there's no correct, there's no correct way. Nostalgia messes with your head, though, in in a lot of ways, don't you think? Yeah, I'm pretty vigilant about questioning it, uh, though. But but I accept it. Yeah, it can mess with you. It, it almost feels like it can trick you into feeling things, almost like a dream. I remember having a dream as a kid about this girl in my class, and I thought, oh, I think I'm, I think I love her. And I was like, wait, I, I, do I? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't think I do. But the dream intensified it. Nostalgia, I think, makes things appear more valuable than they than they really were. That's my suspicion. But that just means their value increased. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And now what? 
Yeah, now what? I don't know. Nostalgia, I think one of the things I love about your work is that um, it can't be placed on a timeline. Um, you know, like for my own stuff, for my own books that I write, I don't put cell phones in there. I'm not I'm not specifically saying that it's not taking place in 2023 or four, but it could be 1985. And I think that with a lot of your work, the visual stuff um, and the music as well, it can't, it doesn't land itself on the timeline as easy as other people's stuff does. Is, is that a conscious thing? And I love that about, about the stuff that you do. Mm, thanks. Um, I, I mean, I love the, the, the incongruities, the, the clash between the modern and the idealized past. So uh, like, for example, Tom Waits, you mentioned, I, I used to sort of, I mean, I loved his albums in the eighties, uh, sonically, the way he experimented. And I know he's written some great songs that I love, but I always kind of felt that he he would never use the word computer or cell phone in any of his lyrics because he's so wrapped up in this mythology that he's created of the 1930s bum or whatever. And I that's fine, you know, it's all creating art is all about creating mythology, but I want it to be a little more um inclusive or whatever or widespread you know broad and so i i wanted to dare to write a song that invoked the 1930s because i love that mythology as well but i wanted to you know throw in the word computer if i could just to just to be subversive or to fuck things up you know um so that's conscious and the same thing is with you know my art a lot of times people will say oh it's retro or something and yeah, I can I understand because I use certain colors to me that um, that I like, which harken back to a certain era, I think. Um, and yet, I I never want to like uh, emulate perfectly uh, drawings from the '30s, '40s, or '50s. You know, like there I, there are some artists who still draw bow ties on people because they think it represents the average guy or something. And that's just because they're steeped in the 1940s or 50s art. I, I guess I, I can't name names, but I just mean, I'm trying, I, I never wanna be um, dated <laughs> or or worse than that would be uh, not dated, but um, looking back too much. I mean, um, borrowing too much or emulating an earlier style. It's a tightrope walk for sure. And I think you do it brilliantly because because what you're saying is if you did that, then it would place you on a timeline. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So you avoid that. I mean, I can't see you doing a New Yorker cover work in an Apple store, but you know. Yeah, Did um, were you ever into The Fall? I, I love The Fall so much. And they're one of those bands I got once I turned 40. Yeah, I think it, it takes a while sometimes for people to get them. And and uh, Mark Smith's lyrics were revolutionary to me because it was just a grab bag of things and it was so intelligent and um, collage-like and it just felt modern. So I always wanted to keep some of that uh, at play with my art. I don't know why I bring that up. I guess because he was sort of an antidote to my love for um, uh you know blues rock folk um and punk uh traditions but i like the like the line i was telling you i love so much um of yours 
reminds me of him in the sense that you didn't see it coming. And that's what I love so much about Marquis Smith is that like, and yeah. your work as well. Is like, I didn't, I did not see that line coming. And I, yeah. I still remember where I was when I heard that Tower Records line. And I was like, whoa, that's the best thing ever. Marquis Smith did that to me too, where it was like this right hook just comes out of the darkness. And you're like, yeah. whoa. I love that. Yeah. I, I, I still, it's funny because I cringe a little bit about that line about Tower Records because I feel like I was um, using sex, you know, as a cheap shot, like to, to shock people or something. Maybe, maybe that just, I'm just admitting to a certain uh, prudishness on my part, but I was, you know, like I knew that if I said sex, it just grabs people's attention. Following it up with, I am a night person is just <laughs> the connection <laughs> changes every, I know what you mean. It changes everything. I wanted to mention Tower Records because, because I, I thought it, I always thought it was ridiculous to, um, well, just to 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 insert a brand name into a song is ridiculous. And, you know, like the art of Stuart Davis from the 30s or 40s, he would draw signs and stuff. Uh, well, and pop art and Andy Warhol. That You know, to me, that was one and the same. I was curious when you got into the fall. Well, I remember I had a roommate, um, he, in, in, just as I was finishing college and he played the, the fall incessantly and I I didn't get it. And then uh, later I had other roommates when I first landed in New York and they played some records. And then somehow it, it uh, jumped out at me. Um, I can't remember, but that one album, um, not the witch trials, uh, Grotesque. Uh, there's a song called C and S Mithering something uh there's a part where he he starts um mimicking uh or or an imaginary conversation between him and some other people about his records he's like oh i like your records oh thanks like, like that. and it just throws that in the middle of the song and i thought that was brilliant i met him once in new york he was uh, on uh, matador records briefly the fall were and um so was i and i was you know, 30 years old, uh, you know, uh, riding the wave, the crest of what little uh, notoriety we had, uh, thinking myself as being awesome. And we we were at some bar and uh, another Matador person introduced us. And then I, I remember, I, so I asked him about, I, I wanted to be a, a cool music guy. So I asked him about how he got the certain vocal sound on a certain song and, um, his reply was, uh, none of your business. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> that would have, at 30, that would have bummed me out for 10 years. Yeah, I, for somehow I, but somehow I, I expected that or something. I, I just, I thought it was funny. Like, oh, cool. He's living to, he's true to form, you know, he's, he's being what he's purported to be. <laughs> yeah, all the stories about him are on brand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know I spoke to someone at Matador when I was a journalist at the time, and and she I called her and she said, uh, "Oh, I know you probably want to interview Malcolmus," and I said, "No, I want to interview Marcel." <laughs> like they, she oh. wouldn't set it up for whatever reason. I think the publication I was working for was too small. Really, uh, that was that was a real hip label at the time. That was the label to be on. Um, yeah. That must have been a pretty cool moment for you to just sort of be, you know, in that mix at that time with those people. Yeah, it was, and. You know, when you're in the middle of it, you don't you don't realize how 
important it, it was. I guess we knew, we knew it was pretty damn hip. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was, we felt lucky, you know, to be on that label. But then you also feel like, um, I don't want the label to define our band. You know, we are a separate entity. And then we'd go on tour and people would say, well, you know, Matador's not doing you right. You're getting the short shrift and these other bands are getting more, you know, advertising, blah, blah, blah. So we, 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 uh, we knew we were lucky to be on the label, but we also felt a little, a certain, you know, pride uh, about ourselves. Was there a fraternity b between bands where did people seem to know each other or? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you'd, you'd meet bands on tour, but you'd also, the New York bands all knew each other. Yeah, I mean, I met uh, all of them. <laughs> I met uh, Sean Marshall on the streets of the East Village before she even became a musician. Actually, she, uh, well, yeah, uh, you know, she just arrived and we be, we befriended each other before then. But, um, and uh, Pavement, The Blues Explosion, and uh, Yola Tango. Then we went on tour with um, Chavez and Guided by Voices and Helium and uh, Come. Were you a Pavement fan? Um, yeah, I mean, I liked what... <laughs> what they were borrowing from the fall. I like that. And then, uh, but then, then uh, the lyrics got a little too, uh, if I can say it, self-indulgent for me. Like almost like anything goes, which probably was the point, but uh, it was a little, there was no cohesive uh, aesthetic to the lyrics that, that I craved. And, um, but musically, I look back and I hear those um, guitar solos and things, and I love that. Um, but I didn't get what the fuss was until later, because you know we were we were uh, competing uh, bands or whatever, you know. So we we were focusing on ourselves. I still don't totally get it with them, um, and I think the, the self awareness slips in. Maybe what you're talking about, whereas the fall never never got self aware. I I ran across masterpiece meal. Um, and I, and I think I heard all I hear, I love that album and all I hear is such confidence. Um, really? yeah, yeah. Cool you mentioned that because I, you know, that's just our so-called, uh, lost album or forgotten. It's not a real album. It's just us playing four track songs. We had so many songs in the works and that's when our relationship with Matador ended right before then. So we said, fuck it. We're going to you know, just throw our heads, uh, our shoulders against the wheel and record these on four track and shop them around or whatever. So <clears throat> nothing came of them, but except for, a, I, I thought a bunch of great songs, you know, or they're, they're kind of half done, but there's also a beauty in the, the roughness of those. At least that's my take on it. Well, what was yours? I just heard, it, it, it's weird that you said that because it all, it sounded so cohesive to me. I just played it front to back, front to back. <laughs> and um to me, it's brimming with confidence that I just hear oh, a confident. Yeah. 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 I think probably we were, even though we had just gotten dropped from Matador, I think at that time, yeah, I was still uh, unfolding and in, in my songwriting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, feel, I love it. Thanks. Uh, yeah. That's cool that you noticed that, that album. I hope, I hope other people will. I, I just signed a, a contract with a digital distributor 
called Virtual Label. And they're going to put all of our back catalog um, on digital streaming services. I know Master Piecemeal is already there, but we're going to put it all under one umbrella. And so that will include all the, the Matador records, except for the two that Matador still owns and which are, which they have been already uh, streaming. So that music still, it's out there, which is good. Yeah, uh, well, it, yeah, some of the, the previous albums, the first two albums and some of the EPs and singles are not available right now. So that, like I said, I just signed with this company and they're going to uh, help me uh, get it all up. Is there any live stuff in the vault that people can hear? Is it any recording? Hmm. No, but there's some stuff on um, YouTube. It's great that it's there, but I, I look back on some of that stuff, you know, and with mixed feelings, like I, I it's weird to see your your younger self and uh, like the confidence is cool, but then there's certain missteps that you feel that you made and stuff. Do you think the missteps come from the confidence? Are those two linked? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're linked. I mean, they, they probably, at the time, they probably weren't even considered missteps. They wouldn't have been to me or something, but now maybe it's just, uh, I see self-consciousness self where others may just not see that. I don't know. But there, but there was a lot of uh, confidence too, which I'm amazed at. Like, you know, I, I, we had a strong philosophy or I had one where I would just, I told myself that it's important to do as much as you can right now, as much as possible and, and make a statement and, and you're only young once, something like that, you know? I don't know this, but I feel like that still is kind of your ethos because you don't seem like a guy who wastes time. Why do you say that? Because you're, you're so productive. You have so much, your body of work seems like you know, looking at you on Instagram or uh, the books, the illustrations, the, under the music, it's been a while since music's come up, but I have a hard time believing you put the guitar down for 10 years. Like, I don't think that no. happened. No, we right. kept playing. Yeah, we, we kept doing shows, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know what I mean? So looking at you now, you just seem like a like a guy who is devoted to a life in, in art. Well, that's true, yeah. Yeah. That's true. And, yeah, I mean, I, I have no... Um, uh, I, I don't hesitate to say, uh, I, I don't dance around the term artist. You know, some people are like, oh, I'm not one. Or, <laughs> but I, I, I'll, I'll take it, you know, I, I'll claim it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, it's no surprise that you're not a realtor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think I could do that, huh? I think you'd sell a lot of houses. But I think that you, I think you could do anything. But I do think that your, your, your artistic compass was pointed a certain direction at a really young age. I don't think there was any doubt where you were headed. Yeah, I guess so. A lot of, you know, obviously influences uh, led me certain ways. Yeah. You know what? Um, speaking of being a young artist and having a compass and stuff, this is interesting to me anyway. Uh, my friend Scott, when I was in fourth or fifth grade in Minneapolis, he, he and I loved Mad Magazine. We worshipped it. And... Uh, we would copy the drawings of the artists and everything. <clears throat> anyway, he went on to found the Onion. So he's, oh. yeah, he he went he he's the founder of the Onion in, in Wisconsin, and then it went worldwide or whatever. And we're still friends, and uh, we catch up every once in a while. But we were both driven in that way. Like we felt like we could. We were both creative at the time, and he 
we both still are. I used to love to play the role of what you imagined me to be. And like a bowling pin, you stood there. And you were swept up off your feet. Because um, for me, growing up in the Bay Area, mm. the romantic vision of replacements, Fiskerdu, Soul Asylum, just, you know, um, that stuff exploded my head. Mm. Uh, did it do anything for you? Were you on that? It's funny because I wasn't. Uh, I mean, I left. Let's see. Uh, uh, like I was. I left there when I was 18 and then went to college. And it, as soon as I entered college, I went into this mode where anything that was, this, has, this doesn't uh, address what you're saying, but I, I was, went into this mode where anything that was pop 
was I didn't even listen to it. You know, it was all underground, independent, artistic, blah blah blah. Um, and then later I realized, oh, this town that I had just left came from has this wellspring of um, happening music. And then um, I got acquainted with it. Most of those bands were a little older than I was, but we did go back and run into the to Babes in Toyland when we were on tour. Um, but the other bands we didn't, I didn't know, it, you know, I would, I, I got to know the re and appreciate the uh, replacements. I heard Husker do when I was in college. I, I never got into them so much, but uh, I mean, yeah. Of course, Prince and Bob Dylan were big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Husker Du were one of those bands I think I was pretending to be into. I, as I got older, not that old, maybe in my 30s, I didn't have much interest in them anymore. I've cycled out back yeah. fairly quickly. Um, I remember when I was getting all artsy and stuff, I even dismissed the replacements because I thought they sounded too classic rockish in my oh, mind. Interesting. Really? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I knew the first two records that they did, which were really punk. I heard like those other ones, Let It Be or Tim or whatever. And I just thought, oh, it just sounds too traditional songwriting. And I was more excited by um, The Fall or Tom Waits or, you know, whatever. When you went to school, was the plan sort of vague in your brain? I'm going to make art of some kind. I'll be in the arts. But in terms of career, did you did you plot that out or did you just think like, I'll, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah, I did have a whatever comes, whatever happens is fine uh, kind of attitude. Uh, but I, I was studying art and illustration specifically, and so I, I felt I, ne I, yeah, I never, I was always drawing from from age five, whatever. But I didn't get in. I, I didn't seriously start playing music until college. Mm. So, yeah. Um, but it was a long time uh, goal, not goal, uh, dream or uh, interest of mine to to want to play music. But I never felt um, I had the aptitude. But when I was in college, I hit art school and suddenly um, I felt like anything was possible. So I, because, you know, I mean, art school gives you that feeling. And also I just moved to the East Coast and suddenly I was amongst other uh, artists. Um, it was just the opening up. And, you know, like I took a class in um, figure, not figure drawing, but figure sculpting, which was like 3D. You would sculpt the figure in, in two minutes and then you would smash it, sculpt it again. You know, the figure would, and so it was such a, uh, that's, that's all art. But so then in meantime, I took a performance art class and I didn't, it wasn't lost on me, the, the, the connection between performance, rock and roll, and then performance art, and then drawing, and it was all this uh, spectrum. And um, and then, yeah, so I was learning guitar at the time, and I, I didn't, uh, I just loved uh, learning guitar and playing and singing and learning how to construct a song. And so I said to myself, okay, I'm gonna go to New York and um, I'm gonna, you know, try my hand at what I was trained at, which is to be an illustrator. Uh, that's the that's my biggest skill but at the same time i'm going to keep on playing music so i gathered some um people to play music with and we started a band so you hadn't picked up a guitar until college yeah 
Did you feel um, a kind of a, a sort of power? A guy with a guitar is a powerful symbol. I mean, <laughs> it gets girls' attention faster than pretty much almost anything, I would think. Um, oh, right? <laughs> no, no, that's, no, I have, I've heard that, yeah. Yes, that seems to be a thing. Um, but the um, the sort of the social power, did you feel like, oh, like this is like, this is a real, there's a charge in holding a guitar and having people look at you while you sing a song. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was a big, I know that was a part of it. You know, cause if you're a drawing in your room, you don't hear any applause. So um, I had that craving. There was a, a showman part of me that is there. Uh, you know, I, I think my parents are, they still don't understand it, but <laughs> it's, all, it's all connected to me. Uh, the, the, the desire to make a drawing and, and, or a painting and to um, impress somebody as well as to uh, be on stage and, and uh, perform or, or, or put something across. You know, I'm not a natural performer. I'm, I'm, I'm not even, there's a, there's a, a lot of shyness to me that's I've always had, but but those desires are are there, you know, either on paper or on stage. So I just exploited both all of it, and it it felt natural to do both. When you're creating art, it's private, takes place in a room. Um, when you're writing songs, the same thing happens. But then the performative element of music, um, where suddenly it becomes public. And you're sort of, you know, you're peddling your wares to an audience, um, which is so different from, in terms of different creative muscle than just creating art, visual art. Yeah. Um, but it seemed, but the two do work together. Yeah, for me, they do, yeah. No stage fright? You weren't nervous? Oh, about... yeah. Totally. Oh, you did? All right. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Still? But yeah, but I mean, uh, I it's 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 not me. Like, well, it's like I like it's performance. Like you said, it's uh, it's it's artifice. You know, like for me, it's um, okay. Let's say I lack confidence. Okay, uh, I'm gonna just pretend that I don't, and then, uh, and then it it sort of has a snowball effect, and then you feel better, and you know. Uh, I have, I guess I have tricks up my sleeve to make me feel less, uh, afraid, but I'm no master at it. Well, when you, when you became that guy on stage, when you got off the stage, did you feel yourself turn back into yourself? Yeah, I think so. Unless I was being interviewed or something. Right. <laughs> or whatever. No, I get it because I... So I teach, I teach college and when I'm the professor guy, I'm a guy, but then when I leave the classroom, I can feel myself turning back into who I really am. And if I run into one of my students at Safeway, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, now I got to be that guy. And I can never find the character. It's so hard for me to still, yeah. even all these years That's later, funny. I can't. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, that makes complete sense. Yeah. We're all playing roles. You know, as I've gotten older, my ego is, well, it's taken a back seat in in a way that where it used to be in the front. Um, 
I'm more accepting about things that I would have fixated on because my ego would have been bruised. What, what about for you? I'm more accepting, I guess, of certain um, things that might have ruffled my feathers in the past. But is that not what you mean? I don't know. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you, you get older too and you, I, well, maybe this is the wrong way to go, but you get older and you also uh, build up a certain amount of pride. Maybe that's exactly the opposite of what you're saying. And then you have a line where people, if they cross it, they're suddenly, um, you know, they're they're not they're not they're not cool anymore or something. I, there was a famous anecdote with Frank Sinatra, where I guess he's a bad example, but he was walking in the airport and um, some guy encountered him, who he had known before and who had apparently crossed him at one time. And he was like, hey, Frank. And uh, Frank Sinatra's response was, keep walking. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, um, and I just remember when I heard that, I was probably in my 20s or something, and I thought, that's fucking cool. <laughs> and I don't know if that's cool anymore, but uh, I can understand um, Frank's uh, attitude. Totally. Yeah. You know I mean? But maybe yeah. that's maybe he's maybe that's the opposite of what you're saying. Maybe his ego has gotten had gotten so big or whatever. Like he's not forgiving, he's not accepting. Now you're making me think that maybe holding a grudge is connected to ego in some way too. Yeah, I'm wondering if I'm on the wrong track by saying that. But no, I think they're connected somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's freeing. I mean, like, for example, if I wrote something that I that I was really excited about when my ego was still fresh and, and um, you know, center stage, I would have to show it to somebody immediately. Now I don't care. I know I know I, I know it's good or I know it's bad. Mm. I don't know how but for you, like in terms of I think when you're young, you want to sort of like, look what I just did. Because um, you need validation, you mean? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't know where I fall on that question because I, um, I can tell myself something's good, but I still, uh, need validation. I think, I mean, cause the more, the older I get and the more that I know, um, the more I realize how many different viewpoints there are. And so you can't, well, now I'm contradicting myself, but you can't, um, trust certain opinions about your work. <laughs> right and but i guess what i'm saying is like i i can't just say to myself oh i know this is good i can just say to me this is good right which is a difference right. i do yeah. believe in, in certain universal standards of quality i don't believe that it's it's good because you think it's good all the time you right. know like some, some people say well if you like it, then it's great, you know. <laughs> and that's not always true. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, something like, yeah, I don't know. But I do think that when I say, when I say good, what I really mean is the thing I was trying to do, I did. Oh, yeah, you accomplished, yeah, the goal, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're right. That's, okay, that makes complete sense, yeah. And that's, that's totally valid and valuable. But whether or not it's good is a, is a whole other thing. But I do think that the, 
in terms of the people in your life that you trust that when they are embracing of your of what you've done um opinions of certain people are weighted differently than others yeah. i have found yeah that's true yeah yeah and at this uh, later stage in my life i'm just uh i keep telling myself just uh you gotta just plow ahead and well yeah like i i i'm, I'm just i'm do i did a lot of work this last year including this new album and uh an illustrated memoir of my years uh, in the indie rock world. Did you see that? I did. Okay. Yeah. So that's just a stab. I'm, I'm just. I just made a, a series of sketches to propose the idea and and just to test the waters. But um. Anyway, uh, I forget what I was saying. Oh, I'm just saying that um. There's no time to waste, and I'm just telling myself to keep going forward and. Yeah, I can even look at my current record and say, oh, there's there are certain parts in there that I wish I could change. There are parts that I don't feel comfortable with. Uh, the way I sang it in that one particular moment there bothers me forever. But um, not everybody's going to see it the same. And 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 I, of course, you have to please yourself. You have to meet your own standards. And I did with that record. But uh, now as I'm moving forward, uh, that this new record is going to take on its its own life, and um, I have to just accept it for a record of a document of this time that I just passed. <laughs> the these songs, like I was thinking, like I, I imagine that you have a lot of songs. Like I just my my vision of you is that there you didn't you didn't just put music away for ten years, um, no. yeah. right? Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I have a lot of unfinished unrecorded songs yeah so the fact that these like this album um people say oh you know marcel you're back and it's like but you probably really never left right i guess so yeah i don't i, I can't even imagine um well whatever yeah there wasn't a conscious effort to not put an album out for a while right no that's right yeah it's just the, the music industry changed as we know and um uh, it's all diy we got what we wanted. <laughs> no, um, we <laughs> <laughs> we did right. Uh, we, Here we are. Yeah. So now uh, everything, uh, promotion, whatever, press, um, videos, um, the whole gamut is uh, is my uh, responsibility. So that that's partly that's a big reason why it took a long time to make a new album. You know. Do you imagine that now you've sort of got your head around it, that you'll you'll turn them over faster? Uh, I'd love to, but this has been a lot of work, so I don't know. Uh, maybe it's also costly, you know, I don't, I don't, I enjoyed, I didn't mind. I accepted the, the idea of spending money to create a record and that's what we did, you know, paid for a studio and whatever. Um, so that's the other obstacle, you know. How, how many records can we afford to, you know, pay for? Because <laughs> yeah. I have no illusions about um, uh, getting it all paid back or, um, you know, fame or money is not what I'm expecting or anything. Or it's not my goal either. Well, what is oh. your goal then? <laughs> well, I mean, that was, yeah. 
just to get it out there, right? Just to just to yeah, create. yeah, yeah. Also, you it's like you're not 25. You're not going to get in a van and drive to California and back. No, no. But I am, you know, I am. I should mention, I'm going to go to Europe in uh, April for a month and do a number of shows. Um, nothing big, but a few small ones. I'm going to open for Bevis Frond, this mm. band from England. Yeah. And, um, and then I'm going to do a, a, a several smaller shows uh, in southern Germany with some German friends of mine who are going to learn my songs. And it's all in conjunction with this German label called, uh, in English, we would say gut feeling, but it's gut feeling in German, which is um, good feeling. Anyway, it's a pun. And they're, they're pressing the vinyl version of my record. And um, I'm excited about that. And we're going to do a showcase with them and their bands on the 26th of April in Munich. We're also going to play in Switzerland and I'm going to visit friends in London and um, Barcelona and try to do some, you know, one-off shows, those places. So it was a full month in Europe. Yeah. But not all shows during the month, but yeah, a full month there, which is, it feels a little extravagant to me, but it, it, I feel like I also don't want to short shrift the album and I want to take advantage of any opportunities that come my way to to promote it extravagant in in the sense of like i'll just be sort of springing in not summering but springing in europe for a month feels yeah but also it feels like i'm not um well i'm not really working i guess you could count playing shows as working but it's it's not bringing in money i guess what's what i mean in terms of domestically are there shows here I wish um, right now, no, I don't have a booking agent. And uh, if, if shows were to come our way, we'd be open to them. Um, my band here is amazing. Uh, Damon Smith on the bass and Mike Shapiro on the drums. We've been together for at least 15 years, working together, crafting songs. And um, I would love to, and they would love to as well, get on, in a car and, and drive around the East Coast or whatever, or fly to the West Coast. I don't know, anywhere. But it's, it's always about money and time and, you know, uh, Damon's got a baby now. Uh, there, there's obstacles now that we're older, but um, if things if things were if opportunities came, we would be eager to hear about them. I love the record. It feels to me like a like a real set to me. It's it's really um, t tight. Feels like such a corporate response to it, but it does really feel um, like the, like there's an arc to it. There is a beginning, a middle, and an end, and. I always appreciate that as someone who grew up with albums that felt novelistic, you know, like, yeah. you know, like say what you want about ghost in the machine. It does feel to me like there's a narrative there, or I don't know why I've chosen that album, but I don't know why I thought about that, but it does. I mean, you know, and this album feels that way too. It doesn't feel like a hodgepodge of songs. It feels like there is an arc. Yeah. Um, and I love the record. So. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, it, whether if, if there's such a cohesiveness to it, then it's part of partly due to luck. But uh, <laughs> um, but I also would say that, you know, we were we were just being ourselves and that can give uh, any, you know, group of things uh, a, a cohesiveness. You know what I mean? Like we were approaching it in our way and. Um, and the songs came out. Uh, with a certain aesthetic that we had in mind during the last five years. So I do also feel that it has a certain cohesiveness, uh, which must be good. I don't know. It's hard for me to, to be objective. 
I don't know how people take music in anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what I mean? So to sit down with your album and listen to it from start to finish, you know, 20 times was a real joy for me because I don't, wow. I have even found that I'm not doing that that much lately. And it really annoys yeah. me that I've sort of been tricked by technology into <laughs> listening to sort of, it's it's rewired my brain. Have you, has that happened to you too? Yeah. Yeah. None of us listen to albums unless, yeah, anymore the same way, I guess. Um, but you know, then again, I'm also wary of falling into the trap of becoming that old guy who's carping against new technology. You know, if, I know. If, if the way we consume music is changing, then that's that's the way it's changing. Uh, simultaneously, anybody, ourselves included, we can we can um, look back and and cherish the times that we listened to full records. You know, I think we can walk both roads. Yeah. I mean, even how, how our brains... Remember that show, The White Shadow? Did you ever watch that when you were a kid? No. I don't it was about this basketball team, and the coach was... Oh, a, yeah. Right? <laughs> Wait, so, yeah. Right? Ken Howard was the coach. He was a white guy. And I was obsessed with that show. And there was an oh. episode when I was in fifth grade where one of the players gets shot in a liquor store. And we don't know if he lives or dies. You have to wait a week. And I thought about it for a week straight. I was upset. I couldn't think of anything else. Right, right. Right. And then it it the episode comes and the and the guy dies and it was heart heartbreaking. And then I couldn't stop thinking about that. And like the way that that art would, you know, television being that an art form in itself, the way it would sort of marinate in your head for a week. And now it's just sort of like binge watching wasn't even a thing. That's true. Yeah, that's a new right? thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and binge has such a negative connotation, but we all do it. I know. It, it happened silently. It, it was very quick how it happened, where I didn't even realize, like, oh, I haven't been to a record store in a year. I yeah. have, you know, that kind of thing, where I go, holy cow, I used to go every two days. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be the old guy saying we used to walk to school, but no, that no. might be our version of what used yeah. to walk. We used to listen to albums front to back. Yeah, yeah. That is the same, Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, were your guys in the band? Were they in other bands? Um, yeah. Um, well, Mike Shapiro, my drummer, is a uh, is a professional drummer. Uh, he's toured with different people, and he's done Broadway shows. You know, he's a trained drummer, and I'm I'm so privileged to have him. You know, play with us. Uh, and then Damon uh, Smith, the bass player and back backup singer is uh did play for years with a another guy from boston named tom leach and did some kind of um um what do you call it um americana music and and i'm um, and he's played in other bands but i think that was his primary one for a while have you maintained friendships with people from the 90s like the old railroad jerk guys or white hassle guys are you still in touch and pals with people yeah we're in touch i have to um uh distribute royalties every once in a while that we get for those bands and i stay in touch with them um and of course we have years on the road and histories together so we touch base once in a while but uh, uh maybe not as often as we should are you aware of time in a way that you weren't aware of before now that we're a little bit older 
um, men of a certain age. From a creative standpoint, do you feel that like, I've said this before where it's like the road ahead is shorter than the road behind. Yeah. Are you, are you aware of that? Is that sort of hanging in your brain? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, being turning 30 and not batting an eye and thinking, you know, it's endless time ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. But now uh, of course I don't feel that way. Um, now I'm really uh, acutely aware of, um, I mean, I go back and look at footage of, of uh, musicians that we all admired and go back and see where they were in their careers when they were the same age as I am now. And I'm really fascinated by that. And that same goes for writers and artists. I mean, I'm constantly comparing notes like that. Like I'm, you know, I say to myself, oh, where was Elvis? At, well, he died when he was 42. Okay, well, where was um, whomever, you know, where was Leonard Cohen? Where was, um, uh, I, you know, remember like when uh, the Grateful Dead had that song called Touch of Grey? And I remember thinking like, oh God, that's so stupid. Like what the, f you know, like what a dumb old man song, you know, <laughs> and um I'm not going to write a touch of gray song, but I, you know, I have a touch of gray now, so I understand. <laughs> the idea of, of not slipping into self parody of keeping the quality. Yeah. You know, as an artist, there's very few people I can think of in music who have, you know, maintained the edge and maintained, um, and not just relied on, on old glories. Yeah. Visual art may be different, than 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 audio. I don't know. Do you, you know in terms of the the masters? I mean, like Picasso was doing it. You know, obviously until he was older. Um, maybe it's easier in visual not to repeat. I don't know. Maybe it isn't easier. I, no. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. But I'm like I said. I'm fascinated by that question and that subject. And I watch really closely all artists and what how they perform uh, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I mean, maybe I'm too obsessed with that, but I'm really curious about it. And I remember watching the art of my favorite illustrators and watching it degenerate when they became in their 60s. And I could see their lines shaking. In fact, I saw this documentary just recently about Dr. Seuss and uh, his later books, they're not drawn as well as when he was younger, uh, which makes complete sense. But, you know, I'm. I'm aware of that possibility, you know. I think Peanuts pulled it off. I think Peanuts stayed start to finish, strength to yeah. strength. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I can't blame people for their line becoming shaky, but uh, I'm I guess I wonder if there's a there are probably many musical equivalents to that too. But uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, like I look at Pacino and De Niro, and I think like they're great actors, but I don't think they are anymore. I don't know. There's a lot of shaky lines with those guys. Weird choices. I don't know what's going on. Um, caricature too. Yeah, that's the self-parody, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I, and it feels like with Pacino, it's like a train that just can't stop. It's just going somewhere so weird. It's all shaky lines now, yeah. <laughs> you know. And he's a great actor. Or yeah, I love Elvis Costello, but I don't know. I don't know what these albums are about for the last 30 years. I don't know what's going on. Um, what about Paul Simon? I mean, that's a good question. You know, like I haven't really 
followed his career his career um closely all my life but you can't help but hear his output and some of my response was just peripheral but i've heard stuff by him in the last 10 20 years that's amazing mm -hmm. what i mean is like he takes risks and he's a, and lyrically he's still on top of the game and he's um incorporating different styles i think that's really cool but i didn't take be, him seriously when i was younger i know he might be one of the few that him i thought leonard cohen to the very end yeah you know um maybe taking risks is the is the secret where you're you sort of keep yourself uncomfortable yeah so david bowie too right yeah david bowie boy people were writing him off though in the 90s it was sort of like he was you know in many ways I think that's why I got a chance to interview him because he was sort of accessible in a way that he oh, wouldn't cool. have been, you know? Yeah. I got super lucky. I got him as he was waning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People didn't care about his albums for the last 25 years. Only when he died, I think they kind of pretended that they did. Like, you know. I guess you're right, you yeah. know. I don't, I don't see a big tin machine reappraisal happening, but I do think that there's, you know. But anyway, I do think about that a lot where I want to sort of keep keep it going, keep it interesting. Don't, don't uh, decline. I guess don't decline is what it comes down to. Yeah. 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 But then there's that question about nostalgia and sentimentality. You know, those are usually uh, uh, boogeymen or things to avoid or whatever, but, but I, I let that seep in every once in a while myself, you know, I mean, I love like country music. I love uh, the old time. I love George Jones, and I can't, I never tire of listening to him sing about heartbreak. And maybe it's because his, of his amazing voice. But uh, I, I, to me, that motif is just fine. And uh, <laughs> you know, um, but for others, it's it's the most soppy crap you could ever hear. Do you consider yourself to be a sentimental guy? Maybe overly so. Yeah, like I let things get to me. It's always been like that. That hasn't. Yeah, I think so. But it's, 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 I mean, I, you could, but people sometimes describe somebody as being a romantic, right? I'm never sure exactly what that means, but I think that applies here. As opposed to what? Being a realist or being pragmatic? Or being uh, cold and unreceptive to love? <laughs> yeah. But I also think it has to do with uh, living in a dream world or creating a mythology and and uh, illusions or so not well. I mean, there's there's something wrong with self delusion, right? But there's nothing wrong with creating your world. <laughs> so right. there's a fine line between those two things. I find in everything there's a fine line between a lot of things, and I love exploring that fine line. So many people, it seems to me, are refuse to acknowledge the nuances that are involved with everything. I mean, art, I mean, politics, I mean, uh, love, religion, whatever. There are so many um, contradictions and things. And I, for me, lyrically and artistically, I love exploring those contradictions or exploiting them. Lyrically, are you writing a lot or do you find that it's... Because I imagine sort of the, the juggling between the visual and the, and, and yeah. sort of, yeah. Well, to be honest, I, I, I haven't written a lot of lyrics in the last year because I've been so focused on um, launching this album and then 
making drawings for that uh, illustrated narrative memoir. Uh, so I put I put lyric writing on hold, but I, I constantly, uh, at least up until this year, I have been collecting like a magpie, you know, little bits, uh, fragments of um, lyrics that could or words that could be used as lyrics, and I, I compile them on on in files. It's incredibly organized. That's good. It's a good way to do it. Oh, before I forget, let me show you my list of things to do. <laughs> I, this, I know this is a podcast, right? It's not yeah. visual. Right. People, just speaking of organization, I mean, I don't claim to be organized. I have a certain technique, but this people always laugh at my list. So this is page one, page two. Whoa. Page, see, I cross things out when I get them done. But you really cross them out. They almost look like, like a redacted legal file. Yeah, actually, I... There's a there's a cathartic uh, aspect to crossing them out. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Well, I think well, that's like this is the the biggest it usually gets. That's like a eight pages. But I, you know, maybe next week I'll consolidate all of these into a new sheet. Start over. Wait, is that just for the week? No, it's just ongoing. It's like things. This is this is probably for this week. Things that should be done. But if I go to the bottom page, these are things that like three weeks ago were, were necessary to do, but I didn't get them all done. So is the list made up of like buy milk and also do a cover for the New Yorker? Like is everything on there or is it? Yeah. And brush your teeth. <laughs> right. Everything's on there. So, so it's like domestic, artistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm kidding about brushing my teeth, but yes, it does say buy milk and it does say do a New Yorker cover. Um, but they're, <laughs> They're color coded and they're separate, you know. <laughs> Have you always done that, or is that a new thing? Oh, I think I've always done that. I mean, ever since college, at least. Yeah, that's cool. And the sort of the cathartic element of the way you block it out in black, like. Well, I just realized that, it, and I need to really um, apply this more to my life. But I realized later in my life that there's a lot of catharsis involved with putting a stylus or a brush to paper and moving it around that maybe sounds too abstract but it, it really is part of my dna and um that's why probably why i resist a lot of digital art you know i have nothing against it myself but i don't feel drawn to doing it so much but anyway it's it's cathartic for me to to, to block to put the pen to paper and so if i'm crossing things out of my list of things to do i'm satisfying that that need right there Sometimes so I put a brush into the paint and cross things out with the brush because it's so satisfying. <laughs> Do you think you you learned anything in art school that was, I mean, and it's, that sounds like a really reductive question. I don't mean for it to sound that way, but yeah. had you not done that, yeah. would certain things not have been refined? Yeah, I think so. I, I give a lot of credit to to my having gone to art school. I won't say it was the art school itself that was so amazing, although it was a good one. Um, I learned so much from my fellow students. I, I was inspired by them. I remember even almost berating my fellow students, like, stop complaining about our teachers. We're getting so much from each other. And I, I, I felt it anyway. I learned a lot. I had several role models who were my fellow students. And, um, and you're right, you're, you're buying time. You know, it's a, it's a privilege to have that situation where you're able to um, explore things. And like I said earlier, I explored... Uh, 
three-dimensional art, performance art. Um, there was even a drumming class. Not, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't a class. There was a dance class, a bunch of women who danced, modern art, modern dance, and they needed drummers. They needed a rhythm. So me and some others uh, just so happened to be dudes, and the girls were dancing. But uh, we, we gravitated towards um, percussion. And I mean, while I was learning guitar, I was just as fascinated and excited by rhythm and drums. So we would bring congas and bongos down to this dance class and create polyrhythms for them to dance to. And I was just a novice. I didn't know anything, but I did have confidence. I knew that I could keep a beat. And that's really all that matters. And then we just experimented with polyrhythms, um, which is another word for many rhythms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyway, um, that was a real formative uh, experience for me as well. You know, like I just learned, uh, I think any, yeah, I think it's so, I think it's a shame when a musician is just focusing on his or her instrument and in a myopic way and doesn't understand or, or accept or embrace all of the aspects of music or art for that matter. I mean, people always tell me what's the, the, how can you do these two different disciplines? And I say, well, it's easy to me because, you know, in drawing, for example, on a sheet of paper, I'm using composition, texture, rhythm, harmony, um, uh, 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 balance, you know, whatever, symmetry. And I use the exact same things when I write a song. So um, to me, it's the same. Yeah, what I love about your music I've always loved this is that your guitar playing, I think, is very percussive. I like the sort of I've always been attracted to the way the percussive element of your music is one of my favorite things. Oh, cool. Thanks. So, I mean, can you play guitar percussively? I'm not a musician, but it sure sounds that way to me. Yeah, I think that's an apt description, but it's it's just uh, for want of not being able to play as fluidly as another guitarist. It's 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 more of a, a means to an end for me. I always I I picked up guitar originally so that I could sing, <laughs> you know. Um, I admire guitarists who focus on their instrument and know how to make their guitar sing. I can't make my guitar sing, mm. but yeah, percussively, yeah, yeah. I love the album. You've never no missteps in your career for me. I think it's a, a perfect a perfect. Uh, discography and it continues to be so I, I just think you're one of the best man I've always Thank felt you. that way I appreciate that and uh, I just hope um, more people will delve into some of that older stuff because it's really helpful for me to hear from you and others you know their their reaction to these to this um, uh, long time output of mine um, and I appreciate it. I, think, I appreciate your time so much, and, and congratulations on another great album. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Marcellus Hall, one of the best, one of my favorite guys. He is just, 
I don't know. He's one of those uh, rare talents where everything he does is fantastic. I'm not joking. I don't say that very often about a lot of people. He's one of the few. He's on that small list. So here's what I would do if I were you and I was new to the Marcellus Hall game. Um, buy the new album. I will never let you down. Buy it and then go backwards. Get the solo albums. Get all the White Hassle albums. Get the Railroad Jerk albums. And then buy the books. Check out his books, the books he wrote, the books he's illustrated, all of them. This is a guy you want in your collection. He's class act. MarcellusHall.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with Marcellus. That's Marcellus with two L's and Hall with two L's dot com or MarcellusHall.Bandcamp.com. Both good places to get started. BombshellRadio.com is the place to go to find out what makes our radio station tick. You can follow me on Twitter, which is now X, which is, you know, maybe supposed to be sexy and bold. It's a little stupid. At Ember's Editor, or follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast, or email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell every single person you know in this world. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Behind the Stadium from Marcellus Hall's fabulous new album, I Will Never Let You Down. Enjoy it, and thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. I'm trying to remember and not to forget that everybody says it. I totally get that. It's all about the little things and life is sweet. I was going the wrong way down a one-way street with you. So inappropriate and problematic. There is no more room for the idiosyncratic. You don't know where you're going if you don't know where you come from. I was skipping rope behind the stadium. Life takes